0: Are you new to coaching? Starting out as a coach can be incredibly overwhelming, especially when you aren't given much direction from your administration. That's why I created the New Coaches Playbook. It includes a roadmap to help you start building your coaching foundation and a guide to seven podcast episodes in order that will give you the steps and ideas you need to build relationships, define your role, communicate with your admin, and make a plan to start coaching. what's your instructional coaching personality type? Have you ever wondered what superpowers make you a really strong coach and what areas you can strengthen with just a little bit of direction? Well, now you can find out. I created the What's Your Instructional Coaching Personality Type Quiz to help you answer this very question. Just head to buzzingwithmissb.com quiz with a capital Q to take the two-minute quiz and get your coaching personality type sent right to your inbox. Even better, you'll get a playlist of podcast episodes handpicked just for you to help you hone your superpowers and strengthen your areas of growth. I'm so excited to share this quiz with you, so don't wait to take it. Go to BuzzingWithMissBee.com slash quiz with a capital Q and learn so much about your coaching style. We did have some technical issues while recording this episode, just due to the fact that our guest is overseas. So I didn't want to lose the episode. There's so much good information in here, but I do want you to be aware that there are a few gaps just because of the nature of recording via Zoom whenever you have a long distance call. Well, longer than long distance. (laughs) Anybody who's been around long enough to remember long distance remembers exactly how expensive that was. Um, And how ridiculous it is that now we don't even pay extra for it. It's crazy. Anyway, this episode is all about using a coaching menu. And I wanted to share it because coaching menus are a great way to introduce to your teachers a little bit about what your role is, what you're there to do, and what supports you can provide in the classroom to support them. It's a great way to introduce your role to teachers who are unfamiliar with what coaches do or if you're trying to reframe your role on the campus. So, for example, if in the past you have had more of an administrative role and you're really trying to move into getting into classrooms, you can make sure that you include responsibilities on there and supports that include things like co-teaching, modeling lessons, um providing observational feedback, that kind of thing to show that your intent is to get into classrooms rather than spending all of your time in PLCs, professional development and other administrative type things. Coaching menus are a great tool to frame your whole coaching year with teachers. And so I really want you to listen into this episode and just kind of listen through those few episodes or moments of technical difficulty that we had to ensure that you get the message that our guest is sharing coaches. Welcome to episode 118. I'm calling this month's theme. What do you do here anyway? Because if you're a coach, you've almost definitely been asked that question. Coaches are asked to do so many things. It can sometimes be difficult to nail down what their role is, but having a firm handle on that role is essential. If you haven't listened to episodes 22 and 23 of this podcast, that's a great place to start when it comes to really defining and sharing your role as a coach. In this episode, I'm just going to introduce you to what goes on inside the head of an instructional coach, what kinds of mental acrobatics we have to do before we can do any of the good stuff of coaching. In the rest of the episodes this month, we're going to get into some of the specific actions coaches actually do, the planning support, data reviews, and more of the things we do that fill our days. But this episode will help us get into the right mindset to be able to do all of that great coaching work. And honestly, mindset is one of the biggest demands placed on coaches, and I feel like we don't talk about it enough. We're just asked to know, but we don't know. <laughs> it takes time to figure it out and to get into the right place to find an ex- uh, like a really, truly effective coaching mindset. Or it took me time anyway. In a leadership position, this is the first thing we're going to talk about. You have been moved from a classroom teacher not that classroom teachers aren't leaders. Their positions are just focused for the majority of the time on kids rather than the adults score at, at the school level. So you've been moved from a classroom position into a role that helps chart the course for the school. Depending on your relationship or type of administration, you may actually help create the vision for the school or in some equitable situations. Or less equitable situations, you may be more of the hands-on that makes the vision happen, but less of the brains and the eyes that set that vision. As a coach, I met with our leadership team once a week to ensure that we were all focusing on the important things that would help us get to our school vision. Our principal facilitated the meetings, and she would go around the table and ask each of us to share what we were currently working on, and then she'd follow up on where we were in the process and what steps we planned to take, as well as what help, if any, that we needed. We'd look at data together, write goals for the school, complete documentation requested from the state or federal government, and create the school calendar at the end of every year. I actually have an episode where I talked to uh, Lynn Mussel, who was my first principal as a coach in episode four of this podcast. So if you're interested in learning about systems that support school change, you can go check it out. These weekly meetings often seemed really overwhelming to me at first. I wasn't sure where to start, and I felt like so much needed to be done, and I wasn't totally confident in what my part in it was. This is one of the places I learned about why it was so important to have a clearly defined role, because I walked into my role blind. I built it over time, as I'm sure many of you have, and I wasn't sure about whether certain things were my responsibility or not. I'd met with my principal at the beginning of the year, which is something I teach you how to do in my course, The Confident Literacy Coach, But when I started out as a coach, I hadn't created the complete process yet. And so I was building the plane as I flew it. Now, when I meet with administrators and I'm talking about supporting their teachers or their campus coaches, I have a game plan about how to approach my coaching work. But back then, I was figuring it all out one mistake at a time. (laughs) Being a part of a leadership team also has practical effects. For example, when a job needs doing, it will fall usually on someone who's in leadership rather than a classroom teacher. We ask too much of our teachers as it is. So many of these extra roles, like planning school events, will land in your lap when you're in a leadership role. Some of that is okay, but sometimes we find ourselves running so many things that we're not any, do, no, we're no longer doing our job. We're just doing all the other stuff. Another leadership role is being a model for your school and how things should be done. When I was a teacher, I was often breezing in the door at the last possible second or sometimes a second or two later, just being honest. <laughs> I have always preferred to stay late because I'm just not an early bird, try as am I might. And as envious as I am of early birds, it is just not in my nature. But as a coach, I realized that I was under even more scrutiny than I was when I was a teacher. How was I supposed to ask people to show up for kids every single day if I was running late? So I showed up a bit early, not much. I'm still the same person, okay? But I set my timer, you know, to make sure that I, I would walk into the school building at least a few minutes before I was supposed to. I set my timer for my 30-minute lunch and made sure that I was working as hard or harder as everyone on that campus. Because to me, that all supported my credibility. And no matter what people said about me, I didn't hear much, but you know, people talk about the coach. They couldn't say I didn't work my tail off for my school. That was important to me. As a member of leadership, it was also important for me to actually do the things that we asked teachers to do. So this might be including learning targets in my workshops to help teachers see how they might work in the classroom and to see that we actually use them. This could be using positive language with students to redirect them instead of focusing on punishment. It included being a learner and building my own academic language. Basically, if it was important enough to ask a teacher to do it, I needed to do it in my own way too. I needed that to be reflected in my coaching role. All that is part of mindset. We have to accept, okay, this is a special and unique role. So I might have to do some special and unique things to demonstrate that I am credible and hardworking and that I can be trusted. So another important thing that coaches do has to do with this mindset. Part of that mindset comes from being a leader, which I just talked about a little bit, setting the vision, walking the walk, all of those things are so important. But when it really comes to making change happen, we have to embody a growth mindset, As an instructional coach, if I don't believe that teaching and learning can change and grow, it won't. I can't work with a teacher if I think they're bad or incompetent because no matter how I try to hide it, my beliefs will show up in my work. Helping teachers try new and challenging things or figuring out a new way of doing something means that we have to have the mindset that teachers can actually grow and improve their craft no matter where they fall along a spectrum. Looking at our stronger teachers and saying, oh, she's doing great. She doesn't need any help undermines our role just as much as looking at a teacher who is struggling to make learning happen and saying, oh, she's never going to get better at that. It can be really hard when we work with adults to get our head in the right place. It feels a lot easier to judge and to evaluate than it does when we work with kids. It's coming from like a different place. With students, I had no problem putting their previous years aside and starting fresh. We talked about getting better at things and that hard things get easier when we do them over and over the right way. We talked about trying and making an effort and loving learning, even or especially when it was challenging. But when you're faced with an adult who isn't excited to have you around and the classroom practices and sometimes the decor, layout, vocabulary, and resources haven't changed in 25 years, this is just one opportunity to have a growth mindset. And sometimes as coaches, we have to reframe our challenges into opportunities. When I was interviewed, my principal asked me, what will you do to work with a teacher who was having difficulty changing their practices? After I started coaching at the school, I found out why she was asking this question the hard way. <laughs> but even after the meeting, the teacher's this question, even after meeting the teacher's this question was about, my answer was still the same. Many times, the students who push against your help are afraid to fail. They've tried before and struggled, and they don't want to fall on their face in front of everyone. And they don't trust you enough to lead them down the path to success. And I'd imagine this is true with teachers too. So they'd have to really believe and trust that you are there to help and that things can get better. Getting people to believe is the first step. As a coach, it turned out that getting myself to believe was a first step, actually, not so much always the teachers, but myself. If this sounds a bit like Ted Lasso to you, that's because Ted Lasso is a coach and he's a good one. And we all need a little bit of Lasso in our lives. I think I have mentioned establishing your coaching role so many times on this podcast and even in this very episode, but I bring it up again here because it's foundational to figuring out what coaches do. I've done a few episodes explaining roles that coaches serve, and you can check those out in episodes 22, 23, and 73. But the only way to really know where you're headed is to sit down and figure it out, getting it onto paper. In my course, The Confident Literacy Coach, I share a process for doing this. And I think it's so important that you can actually grab a free masterclass. I recorded a webinar where I teach these ideas at buzzingwithmissb.com slash webinar with a capital W. It includes a handout to get you started and the steps you need to figure out exactly what you're there to do. It's so essential. Defining your role will give you direction in so many areas. It will help you shape your relationships with teachers because you'll know what kind of coaching relationship you're there to build. It will help you know your place in the school. Where do you fall in the school structure? And it will help you organize too, both mentally and physically, because you'll know what you need and how you need it to work for you. Coaches without a defined role often feel like they're floating from project to project or racing from fire to fire. But figuring out what the coach does on your campus will help you build your coaching program and communicate it effectively with teachers, which will help them be on board with your support. So that's my next step for you. Grab that free webinar at slash webinar with a capital W. And if you're ready to learn more, check out episode 22, defining your coaching role for yourself, 23, communicating your role to teachers, and 73, 10 roles coaches serve and what they look like in my coaching. Next week, Episode 119, we're continuing this monthly focus on what do you do here anyway, <laughs> with a look at PLCs. okay? In episode 119, we're talking about supporting planning PLCs and what that can look like. Spoiler alert, it was the hardest thing I learned to do as a new coach, but after a while, it honestly became one of my favorite things. So definitely join me through that process because I'm gonna spell it all out for you. And if you apply it, I know it's gonna change the way that your PLCs work. Until next week, happy coaching. Thank you for listening to Buzzing with Miss B, the coaching podcast. Want more coaching ideas? Check me out at buzzingwithmissb.com and on Instagram at buzzingwithmissb. If you love the show, share it with a coach who would love it too, or leave me a review on iTunes. It's free and it helps others find this show. Happy coaching.